the more you fight against some sort of internal experience, like a thought or an emotion, the worse it gets. And I guess the best metaphor for that would be try not to think about a white bear. Think about anything else in the world except a white bear. And what's the first thought that's going to come into your mind? The white bear. Welcome to Well Said, the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I promise that we'll come back around to that white bear later. John Abramowitz, professor in the College of Arts and Sciences, is going to tell us all about it. He specializes in anxiety disorders and even released two editions of a workbook for patients titled Getting Over OCD, a 10-step workbook for taking back your life. Many people claim to have some degree of OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Maybe you like to have an even number for the volume on your car radio, or want the condiments in the fridge to be aligned perfectly by height. Yes, sure, these symptoms are common of OCD, but John wants to push back against that generalization, which minimizes the severity of the disorder. I think that sometimes people misunderstand what OCD is and what OCD isn't. You hear nowadays people saying all the time, oh, I'm so OCD about this, everything has to be in order, or I'm so OCD, I'll, I'll be on time you know, for everything. That's not what OCD is. OCD is not just about, you know, being perfectionistic or, or anal or, you know, things like that. OCD is about fear. It's about if I don't do this ritual, then something that I'm thinking about really bad could happen. And so I have to make myself feel safe. I have to escape from, from this distress. And, you know, it does happen a lot that you see, you know, I'm so OCD about such and such. And it's a little disparaging to people who have OCD. I'm on a campaign through the International OCD Foundation uh, to try to, I guess, figure out, you know, what can we do to try to change that, that stigma about, about OCD? John has been studying OCD for more than two decades. He literally picked the disorder out of a hat for an assignment in an undergraduate psychology class. He didn't know much about it but was immediately intrigued. And so I started doing some research and I learned about, you know, how fascinating this is that regular thoughts that everybody has. I mean, I've driven, you know, my car past like a group of kids waiting for the school bus and thought, you know, did I? No, I couldn't have hit anyone. Like everyone has strange thoughts from time to time. And so I thought to myself after learning about this, wow, these are people who have the same thoughts that everyone else has. And they take those thoughts really literally. And, and they do stuff about it as if, like, the thought is, is real. And I was just fascinated by that. And there are four general kind of types of OCD that we talk about. One has to do with contamination, right? So the fear of kind of, you know, what if I get germs and contaminate other people or contaminate myself? And that often goes with washing and cleaning rituals. Then a second type has to do with, like, responsibility for something really bad. So, like, uh, what if I hit someone with my car? What if I left the door unlocked? What if I left the oven on? And then going back to check. Check, check, check. That's what these folks often do. They just want reassurance. They want to guarantee that everything's off and closed and locked. The third type of OCD 
is intrusive, unwanted kind of taboo thoughts, whether they're like taboo thoughts about violence or sex or blasphemy, things like that, just these unacceptable thoughts that the person has. And they often engage in like mental rituals to try to put the thoughts right, like they're neutralizing, think a good thought instead, or pray, or, you know, try to reassure yourself. And the fourth type of OCD has to do with order and symmetry and things being exact and just right. So these are people that might think, you know, I don't like odd numbers, so I have to cancel stuff out with with even numbers. So OCD is more than this idea of being anal or a perfectionist. Those with the disorder rely on rituals to ease their fear and discomfort. But just as John said, we all have these thoughts from time to time. Did you lock your car door? How about the lights in your kitchen? Are they off? I mean, I have some of the same experiences. I think everyone does. I go back and check that I put my garage door down, right? At least twice a week, I like look, turn around and look to make sure that it's down. And occasionally I'll actually drive back, maybe, I don't know, once every few months, just to be sure, right? So for the average person, for most people who do that, it's, you know, it's not a big deal and it doesn't get in the way of their, of their life, right? They check and then they, they're on their way and it maybe takes two minutes. Um, a person with OCD gets stuck doing it. So they have um, these kinds of problems to the point that it gets in the way of their functioning. They're late for things or they have to avoid, you know, doing certain, using public restrooms, for example. So the way that we define it is when it gets in the way of, of your functioning, when it causes, you know, a, a great, great deal of distress. But the way I kind of explain it, it, it's not a all or nothing. It's not a black and white issue. What I might call OCD, someone might say, oh, it's not a problem for me. So it really is a judgment call. As a psychologist, John uses the common method of exposure and response prevention with patients who are trying to rely less on these rituals. Exposure means facing your fears. So leaning into it to learn that you're over, I guess, misperceiving or overestimating the likelihood of, of something bad happening. Um, so an example of exposure therapy, if I'm working with someone who has a fear of contamination from, you know, bathroom germs, we might go into the bathroom, touch the doorknob, touch the sink, touch the toilet, all things that people touch on a regular basis and see that you can handle that and that they're not as dangerous as you might think. Response prevention, the other side of this, means not doing the, the typical anxiety-reducing ritual. So in this case, the person might ritualistically wash their hands. And so we're going to go into the bathroom, we're going to touch stuff in the bathroom, and we're not going to wash our hands. And then we might go and eat, you know, some M&Ms or some peanuts or something that you're going to use your, your fingers for. And the idea is to learn that bathrooms just aren't that dangerous. The person will have a prediction that if I touch the bathroom and if I don't wash my hands and I go and eat something, I will definitely get sick. And what we're doing in exposure and response prevention is helping to disprove that. Okay, exposure therapy sounds scary, but John says that as a therapist, he sees himself as a coach or teacher, not as someone who tortures his patients. So exposure therapy sounds like, you know, it would be this awful thing, you know, that here you are, you're standing on the edge of a cliff and the therapist says, now you have to jump. Um, but it's not like that um, at all. It involves doing things where the risk is no greater than everyday risk. And learning to get rid of your safety nets so that you can learn 
that you know things aren't so dangerous. So it's learning how to be okay with that with that fight or flight response, and that's really I think an important thing that people often don't understand about exposure. That this isn't just about you know how anxious can you know they make me, but it's about learning that I can handle more anxiety than I thought. One thing that people with OCD sometimes think about themselves and people who have loved ones with OCD sometimes think about their loved ones is that they're fragile. And people with OCD are, are no more or no less fragile than anyone else. They can, they can handle distress. They can handle anxiety. If anything, people with OCD have been through a ton of distress. And so they're good at, at handling it. And so it's not like they're going to break like spun glass or anything like that. There's no edge that they're going to fall off of or, or anything. And, and so this is learning how, you know, to a certain extent, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and that you really are stronger. And, and the healthy kind of support for someone with OCD is to teach them how to lean into it and see that they can do it. They don't have to spend their lives trying to avoid distress. As more and more people reached out to John for help practicing exposure therapy, he decided to write a self-help workbook that patients could use with their own therapists. Yeah, so for the first edition, we used to think, and this, this was in 2007, 2008 uh, when I was writing it, we used to think that when people do exposure and their anxiety naturally subsides, so this would be, you know, I go into the bathroom with my therapist and I touch the floor and at first, my anxiety spikes. I'm like 90% anxious. But over time, naturally, you know, your body kind of has enough of that. And if you stay there for an hour or so, your anxiety is going to naturally come down, maybe a 20 or a 30 after a while. What research has shown since the, I guess, late 2000s is that actually that habituation is not the same thing as learning. And some people have habituation, their anxiety goes down, but they're not learning anything new. And some people don't have habituation. They stay really anxious, but they are learning new stuff. We, we're not worried about your anxiety going down. Instead, we want to teach you something new or you want to teach yourself something new. Um, and, and one of those things being that you can handle the anxiety. The anxiety doesn't have to go away. The obsessional thought doesn't have to go away. Um, some people will use exposure therapy as a way to try to make their anxiety go down. So I would work with some patients who would say, I can do this exposure because I know my anxiety is going to go down at the end. Right? So they're kind of hijacking it as a way to kind of escape from anxiety. And that's not what exposure is about. We want them to learn it's okay to feel anxious. The, the point of exposure is to learn that I'm not in any danger. It's not just to escape from anxiety. People with OCD, they use their rituals to escape from anxiety. We don't want exposure therapy to become another ritual. After he released the first edition of his self-help book, John learned about a study used to determine if a new style of treatment called ACT, which is short for acceptance and commitment therapy, is a better method for OCD treatment. The general idea of ACT is similar to exposure and response therapy, but it takes it one step further. With ACT, patients are reminded that anxiety is not the problem, but fighting against anxiety could be. The more you fight against some sort of internal experience, like a thought or an emotion, the worse it gets. And I guess the best metaphor for that would be try not to think about a white bear. Think about anything else in the world except a white bear. And what's the first thought that's going to come into your mind is the white bear. Uh, and so people, from an ACT perspective, people with OCD, they're, they're playing that game with their obsessional thoughts. Don't think about harming anyone. Don't think about contamination. Don't think about germs. 
And so that's all they think about. And they're trying to avoid anxiety. Wash your hands, you know, avoid bathrooms, anything to get rid of the anxiety. And from an ACT perspective, we say, you know what? Anxiety is not bad or dangerous. Thoughts aren't bad or dangerous. They're just thoughts. They're just experiences we have. And so the idea is to learn how to be better at having those kinds of thoughts, better at having anxiety, rather than spending so much time and wasting so much time trying to get rid of that. So I was very interested, and we I had a, a grad student, and we designed a, a study comparing regular exposure therapy the way that I'd always done it to exposure therapy from an ACT perspective. And so I kind of had high hopes that adding ACT to exposure would make exposure therapy more effective. Well, we found that there was absolutely no difference. Both treatments did pretty much exactly the same. And now we're trying to figure out on a patient level, are there certain patients who will respond better when you add ACT versus other patients that will do better when you have kind of straight up um, exposure therapy? I'm convinced, I don't yet have the data to show it, I'm convinced that there are some people who will respond better to an ACT approach, as long as it involves some, you know, exposure therapy. In the second edition of his self-help book that was released in early 2018, John incorporated the ACT theory to help ease people into the idea of exposure therapy because, let's be honest, ACT sounds a lot less scary than exposure therapy. No matter what you call it, John understands that it's a hard process and can't be done alone. Yeah, it can be very difficult to get up the, the, the courage, I guess, to, to face your fears, to do exposure therapy. And I, as I write in kind of the preface of my book, this is best used with a therapist. It's really hard to face your fears in the way that I would want you to do that on, on your own. What I have kind of folded into the book are these kind of motivational strategies. So looking at what do you have to gain by getting over OCD, by facing your fears? What do you have to lose by, by not doing that? Um, how can you reward yourself if you, you know, if you accomplish A, B, and C, you know, exposures today that you're planning to do? Um, so really kind of taking a hard look at what are the long-term benefits. People with OCD, they're often looking at the short term. How can I get, how can I escape from this anxiety right now as quickly as possible? They don't look at the long run, which is if I escape from the anxiety now, then I'm never going to learn that I'm safe in the long run. And what I want them to learn is I can put up with short-term distress because that's not harmful or dangerous. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. But uh, everyone has that. And in the long run, you know, I can learn how to do what I got to do even if I'm feeling uncomfortable. And when you're not so worried about feeling uncomfortable, sometimes that discomfort goes away on its own. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Well Said, the official storytelling podcast from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. If you're interested in learning more about this study or other studies that John has performed, you can visit the website for UNC's Department of Psychology and Neuroscience, psychology.unc.edu. Do you have an idea for an upcoming episode of Well Said? Send us a tweet at UNC or you can shoot us an email at wellsaid at unc.edu. You can find Well Said wherever you get podcasts, so we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review. See you next week.